0: Welcome everyone to SNL Funhouse, a Saturday Night Live Recap Podcast. Hey everyone, Mike Bloom here, talking about SNL. Uh, Things look a little different around here, as I alluded to at the end of our last podcast on Post Show Recaps. We've got a different name, we've got a different look, we were segueing over a different co-host, we've got some other different dynamics that we're bringing in that we will show you throughout the rollout process of this new podcast. But, same old people, no offense to my co-host here, Uh, the... Hopefully not bringing too much of Stormgree to this podcast based on his reaction to this episode of SNL. Mario Lanza, how are you doing this week?
1: I am doing great. Thank you for having me back. I'm so excited to work on my second episode with the legendary comic stylings of Charles Barkley.
0: Oh, yes. I mean, really... How SNL came back in full force post-Olympics, they said, "What's what can we hook him back with? Let's hook him back with the hook shot of one Charles Barkley. Before we get into the episode proper, uh, you know, Charles Barkley, this, as you mentioned before, this is his fourth time hosting. Did you have any opinion of Charles Barkley as an SNL host coming in here? Do you remember anything about Charles Barkley as an SNL host? Because I'll admit, it sort of plays off as more blasé to me, uh, you know, looking back on his other three times hosting.
1: Yeah, I have a very strong opinion of Charles Barkley is that he is a basketball player and not a comedian.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it definitely showed here. And what I will say is, you know, I didn't think he was – terrible I think you know one of the reasons why they keep bringing him back is because he does have a certain charisma it's what got him uh you know a a seat commenting for the NBA after he retired but I mean when you compare this to a lot of the other hosts that have been coming on this season between these comedians and these actors he does kind of stick out like a sore thumb unfortunately again not enough to sink the show particularly in my opinion but definitely noticeable compared to some of the other hosts that we've had this season
1: yeah, I and mean, he's I mean, he's obviously not the worst uh athlete host over the years. We've had the George Foreman, the Nancy Kerrigan's Nancy they, Kerrigan, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have some absolute brutal hosts if we go back in the nineties and two thousands of people that had no business doing comedy. And Charles Barkley's far from the worst. Like he's he will not embarrass the show. It's it's one of those things where I don't really understand why he's a four time fourth timer. And like you said, the timing of this one, like, you know, if you want to build on all this post Olympics hype, your first instinct should be let's grab a basketball player from the nineties. Like it's kind of a weird thought process, but again, I don't, I don't hate Charles Barkley. It's always an interesting experience watching him on TV doing sketch comedy. But yeah, he's clearly the first choice of who you really want to see on a show like this.
0: What did you think about the episode overall of this as a moment to bring SNL back from a month's break into a few more weeks of shows?
1: What I thought was it was pretty much exactly what I would expect out of a Charles Barkley episode. I mean, it was there was some premise, some good premises, some good performances, obviously. You can't really base a sketch around him. He's very limited in what he can do, and I'm sure he knows that, so it's not really a surprise. But there was some neat stuff going on in the episode, but overall, I mean, it was it was a decent episode of SNL. I got some good laughs out of it. I didn't really hate it, but it was tough following the Natalie Portman episode, which I was a huge fan of.
0: Yeah, this was one of those SNL episodes where, as you mentioned, there were certainly things that I enjoyed. I will say, this almost was less of a Charles Barkley episode for me and more of a Keenan Thompson episode. Keenan yeah. was everywhere, and I thought he really showcases just how fantastic he is and how much of a, a great veteran, how much of a glue he is in this ensemble in SNL in the 2017-2018 season. Uh, so there were some points that I enjoyed, but this was one of those episodes where I was watching it and I was sort of like... Like, okay, like I can look down and do some other things for a little bit. You know, I'm not necessarily expecting any big surprises once I sort of get the idea of this sketch. I understand where it's going. As you mentioned, you know Charles Barkley has a bit of a limited capacity to work in. I thought he did a fine job working in said limited capacities, but you know maybe it's a result of him. Maybe it's just because the writing coming back, you know, a little rusty from the month-long break. They had to shake off the rust just a tiny bit. Uh, Going to my rankings, this did end up near the bottom. I put this uh, below the Larry David episode and above the Gal Gadot episode, so it's actually the. The third from the bottom episode for me, though, you know, depending on how we talk about this, it will always rise up in the rankings. But I'm sure we're going to have some stuff both good and bad to touch upon when discussing this episode.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things that, yeah, it's I, I don't really have a strong enough opinion of it to really rank it because I don't really kind of remember. Like, I only remember the episodes I love. I tend not to remember the episodes that I don't love. So it's like it was kind of in the middle. Nothing great, nothing bad. But yeah, I was OK, let's get into it. I'm kind of curious to hear some of your thoughts on some of these sketches.
0: Well, yeah, let's let's get to it then. We'll start with this cold open. Now, Mario, what do you think going into this episode the percent chance was of Alec Baldwin showing up in the cold open? And what do you think the percent chance of him showing up was after Donald Trump called him out in a tweet as Alex Baldwin for his shoddy portrayal of him?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was near a hundred percent that we were gonna see something like this. Although again it's I would say he would have shown up anyway just because that's what SNL does this season. They don't really have a way to open the show. So they're just going to go with their moneymaker. We're just going to throw the guy who won us an Emmy last year. So, yeah, I, it was 100% chance that he was going to show up. And I remember I kind of just, oh, here we go again. And it's – I don't know. it's, is, Was there anything about this one that really stood out to you as being anything different than any other Trump cold opening?
0: Uh, I think – I, there were some fun lines in here, and there always are with these Trump cold opens, but I feel like I, I wrote down more than I usually do. You know, when he says he has the healthiest mentals. And he talks about, you know, particularly when uh, Mike Pence is sitting to his right, because obviously they're recreating the bipartisan gun control statement that Trump had made a couple of weeks ago in the wake of the Parkland shooting. And he touches Pence, and Pence sort of recoils. And he says, oh, yeah, that's Mike. He's worried this is a gateway touch. Uh, I thought that was <laughs> a – I like the Wakanda references. Obviously, they have a month of stuff to catch up on. But that being said, I felt like this cold open did run a little long because I felt like the show needed to feel like it had to put all that stuff in there. You know, I was actually really enjoying the first, like, few minutes of it, but then when they kept circling back around to gun control and they made another Diane Feinstein joke, you know, I wasn't necessarily sure why we need to kept go- keep going back to that. And then we have the Jeff-, Jeff Sessions cameo at the end, which definitely seems like an audience favorite. Seemed a little out of nowhere, but it's one of Kate's more ridiculous impressions, so I can't, you know, throw too much shade at it. Overall, I would call this a fine cold open. Maybe it's because, you know, my absence makes the heart grow fonder in a way since we haven't had this impression in quite some time i was not as deterred from it as maybe i have been in the past when he's come on like every other week
1: yeah it's again i've i made it i mentioned in my first uh podcast that I'm, i've never really been that in, interested in political stuff on snl it's like okay well snl seems to get a little up their butt sometimes with how important they think they are like well if we have in common <clears throat> If we haven't commented on it yet, it hasn't been commented on yet. I mean, it's one of those things mm-hmm. like we need to we need to weigh in. So, like you said, it was they they kind of crammed a lot of stuff here that they felt they should have commented on. Like, it was almost one of those things, like, you know, if this episode aired two years or two weeks ago, they would have had, like, the moment of silence at the start after the Parkland shooting. Yeah. It would have been one of those things. So, yeah, it felt like we we were required to kind of cram all the stuff in there because we're SNL, and people need to know what we think about this. But, yeah, it's like, I mean, I really wasn't all that interested in it other than I did enjoy the, uh, I can only run into so many schools and save everyone, which I kind of like that line.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I did like, uh, you know, before we cut to... The the gun control panel, we did get a brief Alex Moffat as Anderson Cooper. And I did like him saying, this is CNN, your number one source for impeachment porn. I thought that was a fun opening line. Uh, But let's move away from the opening. Let's get into the monologue here. Charles Barkley, you know, it's his fourth time out, so he's not going to necessarily go into the tropes of going to the audience or performing a song. God only knows what would have happened if he performed a song. (laughs) Uh, Interesting monologue from Charles Barkley, I'll say. I mean, from a delivery perspective, he was already starting to kind of mumble and, and kind of monotonely speak through his monologue. But I feel like the material that was in there actually had a lot of substance to it. It actually had, like, a message to it, which is... Very atypical in SNL monologues, which are usually very famously the last thing that gets thrown together before the show proper. What did you think of it?
1: Yeah, this was a legitimate monologue, which you don't see that often on SNL these days. Like a just guy coming out there and just doing some shtick and making some points, which I I really appreciated it. But yeah, like you said, Barkley's got the most monotone voice. He just kind of goes, everything is one speed and one tone. So he doesn't really have the delivery for that. And again, he's not expected to, although – it is kind of funny. He's a guy who's on TV all the time. You think he would have, <laughs> he would have worked on that over the years. But yeah, I thought I actually thought this was a pretty good monologue. It was better than I expected from Charles Barkley doing stand up. I mean, that, I tried to look yeah. at the the glasses half full. That was that was pretty good from what you're gonna get from Charles Barkley. And again, Michael Shea comes out and they had good dy- dynamic together. And again, this is one of the things we're gonna see over and over in this show is that. The producers know that Barkley is limited, and they're going to have him lean on stronger cast members that he's comfortable with. And clearly, like you said earlier, it's Keenan. Keenan is going to be the one through this whole show. He's in nearly every single sketch burdening the weight that Barkley can't carry. So Keenan is clearly someone that Barkley feels comfortable working with. But here you get Michael Shea, and I thought they had a good dynamic too. And again, I, I thought this was a pretty successful monologue other than his stilted delivery, which you can't do anything about. That's just that's a uh, if this were a math equation, that's a constant.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's go to homework help for that one. Uh, Yeah, the the glass is definitely half full, half full of CB wine, which is the only Chardonnay to pair well with a sausage biscuit. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that they took advantage of that opportunity because with Charles Barkley sort of speaking out against, I mean, I think he was someone who I believe back when the Alabama Senate elections, he was like very vocal about, you know, since he was from Alabama about the campaign. And I believe it prompted a Fox News anchor to say, you know, essentially stick to basketball. So in light of the comments that have been made to LeBron James about a very similar thing, thing uh we have this rare opportunity for an athlete or athlete as he said to come in and sort of give his own pov from it so i'm I'm glad that they took advantage of that was it the funniest thing in the world no but i'm happy they threw some jokes in there you know him referencing how the hip-hop barbecue like that doesn't necessarily mean anything so i would say you know this was we've seen better shows with fluffier monologues but this was a surprisingly solid monologue in terms of the material yeah,
1: and he had one really especially good line in there. I, I don't know. I, I don't think you mentioned it where he says, you know, I'm here. I'm hosting for my fourth time. There's no reason. He goes, other yeah. than Lauren wanted somebody to talk about Black Panther.
0: <laughs> oh, that was, such, that was such a good line. I love, yeah, like the very – I, like, Charles Barkley very easily realizes at the top, like, the, I don't know why I'm necessarily here, but I'm just gonna, I'll stick with it, and we'll see where it takes us. And where it takes us to is our first post-monologue sketch, which is The Grabbies. So this is sort of a reference to The Oscars Are Tomorrow, and they're doing a world where there's an award show for all of the people in Hollywood who have been outed as sexual assaulters or sexual harassers. What did you think about this sketch?
1: I liked the idea behind this sketch because this is where SNL has really shined over the years and they're, they're ballsy. Like they'll take these stances on stuff that it kind of, you want someone to say, and no one's really had the guts to say it. So like, I appreciated the, the concept behind the sketch and the, the fact that they went for it, the execution I didn't think was all that great. It seemed very rushed and it felt kind of half baked to me. Like it didn't, they didn't really flesh it out all the way. Like, like I'm trying to think of back in the, uh, Back in the, the late 90s, they did a thing called the Spirituality Awards with Joan Allen yeah. when she hosted once, so where they make fun of all these celebrities pretending to be religious in Hollywood and like Madonna pretending to be British all of a sudden. And it was a full on award show. Like they had a big budget, it was a big sketch. This is that's kind of what I thought this sketch should have been something big like that. And so it felt very small for what I thought they were trying to do with it.
0: I agree that the idea seemed really fun. I wonder if they were hurt by the fact that they weren't actually playing named celebrities, right? Mm -hmm. They they all come out. And I thought for a second that we were going to get a bunch of celebrity impressions as well. And then I was thinking, who in God's name would Charles Barkley play? (laughs) Because I don't think Charles Barkley would want to come out as Charles Barkley during the Grabby Awards red carpet. (laughs) But uh, no, it turns out that they're playing you know, generic, made-up name actors. And maybe that sort of eliminates the bite from it. I will say, overall, this episode... Very dark material. Like, I'm a little surprised that this was their first post-monologue sketch because it deals with pretty dark material. You could tell the audience was a little uncomfortable, especially when Pete came out and they're talking about, you know, the most open robe stuff. Like, (laughs) you could feel the audience kind of like cringe and like tepidly laugh because it's it's still tough material to kind of make light about i will say one of my favorite parts of this sketch were a couple things first uh the recurring bit of the male red carpet host kept getting swapped out because they kept mm-hmm. finding out that uh you know they they uh allegations came to light uh, and i love chris red's line especially of happy to be here is this a trap uh and, and <laughs> luke Knoll makes a little appearance as well and I did like Charles Barkley's, he had a different POV, right? He was the he was up for best non-apology, and he's wearing <laughs> the Tim's Up and the I'm With Herpes badges. So I, I'm interested with all the sort of places that they went to, but it didn't exactly hit that peak level from a delivery perspective for me.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that's kind of been a trademark over the years, again, you don't really remember these Charles Barkley episodes, but he has not shied away from being in some of these darker and odder sketches over the years, so I kind of give him credit because I know the host gets a little say in which sketches get picked for the show sometimes. And he he is not shy about being in these more uh, biting, like you said, the audience kind of gasping a little bit or cringing. Like, so It's not; it wasn't really out of character for Barkley to be in a sketch like this. And again, I appreciated the sketch. I loved the writing behind it. I thought it made a great point. I just thought it should have been bigger. It felt like yeah. this is one they really kind of half-assed.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like you know, jump into the pool, even though it's cold. You know, don't just stick your leg in and then wait for it to get warm because you only have a certain amount of time.
1: Exactly, go for it. And again, there's, if you, I don't know, people have seen, there was a cut sketch from this episode. Have you seen the Star Wars one that was cut from this episode?
0: I haven't had time to watch it. No, can you describe it?
1: Yeah, there's this really amazing Star Wars uh, cut sketch they did. It's basically a new standalone Star Wars movie. Charles Barkley's in there with a bunch of the cast members. And the running premise is that all these characters in the universe speak different languages like Wookiee and Droid and Hut, and everyone understands everything and Barkley doesn't understand how they understand everybody, each other. <laughs> He's like, could you guys include me? What's going on? How do you understand that robot? How do you understand that Wookiee? And it was like this huge big budget sketch that didn't make the episode and they spent tons of money on it. You can see it. There's mm-hmm. set pieces and everything. So it's like, they spent all the time and the money on that one and then cut it. And you can see this one kind of got shorted where there's like it's just really rushed together when it could have been bigger. And it's one of these things like, why are you cutting the big expensive catch and keeping this one? And why not throw some money at this one, too?
0: Well, let's move on to a sketch that I do feel like had a lot of budget in it considering how much CGI was involved. Let's talk about the commercial for Ned's Roach Away. (laughs) This might be my favorite sketch uh, just because A, I feel like Charles Barkley was used extremely well. I think his delivery plays off really well as one of those cheapo depot commercial guys that you see (laughs) on public access at like two in the morning. I thought that the, I had no idea where this sketch was going and I love this silly stupid yet like satiric idea of the only way to kill a roach is arming a good roach and training (laughs) them and it's these these really stupid images of like the little roach shooting range and the roaches all going to church and these (laughs) ideas of none of my roaches are gay like it actually was pretty biting in there amidst all of the silliness of watching these roaches do these things
1: yeah this without question my favorite sketch of the uh evening and it's funny you said Surprisingly, Barkley was good in this. Well, yeah, because this was pre-taped. He's much better when he's not live. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, when you get
0: multiple takes in, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, this was my absolute favorite sketch of the night, and I just kind of wrote in my notes here, like, this is SNL when it's at its best, when it's ballsy, taking a stance. Like, they're going to make a good point about, you know, the NRA and all the stuff that's in the news right now about arming teachers and stuff, which is just silly. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, this one, this commercial kind of starts off slow. Like you said, you don't really – know where it's headed at first and then you get the nra which is very blatant okay okay this is an nra joke and then i just wrote in my notes i'm like this eventually won me over by the end because it was so silly and i just love the little graphics
0: Yeah, the graphics absolutely made it. Because I think it's one thing to just describe it. It's another one to actually see these roaches with little AR-15s just (laughs) marching along and breaking up other roach parties. It's a ridiculous image that the humor, again, it's really dark stuff that you're working with considering how soon this comes after, you know, the Parkland shootings. But I think the images just made it for me.
1: Yeah, and I have to give credit to Heidi Gardner here. Just a little touch is like her flinching every time a, a <laughs> gunshot's going off in her cabinet. She just flinches. It's just, just little stuff like that I appreciate. Just, and what is it? Yeah, only, I only hire the best high character God-fearing roaches. And like you said, <laughs> and none of them are gay. And that was, wow. So I, I, This was great, I thought.
0: Even the little touch of when we first see Ned, the subtitle under Ned is just my name. Like, there's no title to him. It just says Ned, my name. It's those little visual touches that I think work really well with these types of commercials, especially. Let's move along with these sort of darker undertones into the homework hotline. I was very surprised this was a pre-update sketch because... The, the the game of it, which is essentially everyone's accusing this man of having sex with a puppet on a Homer <laughs> Cotline show. Like, I cannot believe this made it in before the musical guest, Mario.
1: <laughs> this uh, This should have been my favorite sketch of the night. Again, I just like bizarre, weird, dark sketches. And this one had everything going for it to be like the big standout and again i don't think any sketch is really going to be you know go viral from this episode or people are going to talk about it for years this is the one that maybe could have been like that if they'd had maybe a little stronger performer in the lead role Mm. like if you like i if you had taken this as will ferrell in the lead role instead of barkley and you addressed him as like maybe james lipton like this nerdy professor and made him like completely straight as a, as a straight man, as like this, this academic really being annoyed by the puppet sex references. I think this would have been one of the best sketches of the last couple of years. But again, you have Barkley in there and I appreciate what he did with it. I still laugh. This was a funny sketch and I laughed at it, but this one could have been so much more. It's it, this is a really funny dark idea for a sketch. And I know some of the people listening to this are like, how dare you laugh at stuff like that? That's horrible. But like this, <laughs> this is just an odd weird like you said it's a 10 to 1 snl sketch it should have been at the end of the night and it wasn't and i don't know why it was this early but i i I appreciated that they went for it even though i don't think the execution was all that perfect
0: I was surprised that they jumped into the joke so quickly. I feel like usually, like Jingleheimer Junction is a good example of this, right? Where like they lay out this carpet in front of you to eventually walk down. Like this is what the show's about. This is Bobo the puppet. But immediately they introduce themselves, then they cut to the first caller, which is like, "Hey, what? You know, you guys have sex all the time." Like they, and maybe it's because they just were sort of quickly writing this. They didn't. They had to sort of throw things together. But I was very surprised that they cut quickly to that stuff. And as a result, maybe. I don't know when they were rehashing the jokes over and over again. I liked the creativity of them. I liked you know the geography reveal in balls deep. Uh, I think my favorite might have been doing the chemistry problem and spelling out B O B O S C O C. Even though surprisingly, I thought the audience was like gonna understand what it was, but it seemed like they didn't really get it until Bobo says like the last letters K, uh, which is surprising. I think my favorite moment was. This one line when, because we haven't, we didn't see Mikey Day as the puppeteer basically the entire sketch, but there's this one moment where he peeks his head up and you see like very Jim Henson like the scraggly (laughs) 70s hair in the goatee and he's just like, don't do that again. (laughs) Uh, I like that's, it reminded me a bit of, um, Justin Timberlake the first time he hosted when he did the the rainbow connection with with Will Forte as Kermit the Frog like that's I was hoping we go more in that direction. Uh, It turns out we stayed a bit more with the with the Bobo and Charles Barkley thing but there were some fun moments in here though I do agree that like it it had been a stronger performer maybe if they had done some more stuff I could have really elevated it.
1: Yeah, and the the sketch you you said Jingleheimer Junction—that's a good one of a how you do a sketch like this really well. The one that reminded me a little bit was the game time with Dave and Greg with Rutherford uh, yeah, alien. alien. Yeah, where you jump right into the sketch and it's clear that these calls come all the time and that's the joke. Like I do, I do agree with you that I think maybe they should have delayed the punchline a little bit, where we have some real calls and then the the sex ones come in. But mm. again, at the end of the sketch, you have a puppet jerking off Charles Barkley, so. I don't know how you can end a sketch any stronger than that, to be honest.
0: Yeah, that was a really fun visual. I think that was a good way to end it. Rubbing your pant leg produces, you know, <laughs> static electricity. Uh, really fun visual from that one. L- let's move on to the champions. Uh, we ha- we've had one of a couple of uh, other athletic uh, athletic cameos this episode with a rod. In the second chair, and so it's gonna be Charles Barkley, A. Rod, and D. C. Timmons, played by Keenan Thompson, to debate which is the toughest sport. Uh, This was really a showcase for Keenan. What do you think of this sketch?
1: Yeah, this is a hundred percent what Mike was saying in the opening that the show was gonna lean on Keenan. Again, Barkley, great guy. He's very game for doing stuff. He cannot handle a full sketch so they'll have him lean on someone stronger and this is absolutely the one the epitome of that where this is a keenan thompson sketch he's carrying everything he's out there with two athletes i mean a-rod is a worse performer than barkley so like oh A-Rod, gonna...
0: a-rod at least charles barkley wasn't breaking the entire time like a-rod was not acting whatsoever he was just blatantly laughing at everything that keenan was saying
1: yeah he's just grinning there like an idiot so it's like yeah that's this. I don't think this sketch really worked. Like, I appreciate this is the one. Like, again, obviously, a lot of the internet crowd isn't big into sports, but the sports world is going to like this sketch. Oh, yeah, a Rod and Barkley, and then Keenan. It was funny. I don't think it necessarily worked all that well. But Keenan gave it his all. Like, he was trying his yeah. best out there to salvage this thing. With again, he's got nobody else to work with. He's a hundred percent monologuing the sketch for the most part.
0: Yeah, and he had some absurd lines to deliver as well. And it's tough to sort of play this thing because obviously CTE is. A big deal, especially in the sports world nowadays, so I feel like you're walking a fine line when you try to make jokes about these things, but, I mean, we don't even know if this guy went through CT, considering he played nine games over seven (laughs) seasons, so he might just be in a completely separate world, but I do like these random lines, like, you know, you think that's bad, a football field is 100 yards long, that's 100 feet, Uh, (laughs) and even little lines like, every kiss begins with Q, he talked about how uh, half his teeth are fake, his eye is made of sugar, and his arm comes from industrial light and magic. And then he starts doing the uh, the robot with one of his arms. Like, it's one of those things where the more ridiculous the character got, I think the more fun I had with it. Though I do agree that Keenan was essentially pulling this entire sketch from the beginning.
1: There's a lot of people out there who don't like Keenan, who don't like him at SNL, who think he's been on there too long. They just kind of get sick of his shtick. Like, almost nobody else could have carried this sketch. So... Even if you don't like him you have to begrudgingly give him the respect that like he's a he's a hard worker and again they say this in pro wrestling he's a worker he makes other people look better yeah Keenan 100% made this sketch and I I even wrote in my notes here I said well Keenan tried but no like I just it just didn't work for me and like again having two athletes in one sketch is a bad proposition when you already have one to start with and one's a bad proposition so I guess I mean yeah I'm I'm from Seattle. Anybody who knows Seattle sports history knows A Rod. We're not we're not fans of A Rod up there, so it's good to have another chance to crap on Alex Rodriguez. So exactly <laughs> you now
0: you have something you can haunt him for the rest of your life. You laughed openly in Keenan Thompson's face. You did not stick to your character.
1: Exactly yeah. This, I'm sure he will be haunted by my criticism of him. Now it's going to ruin his life.
0: Oh okay, yeah, he's going to a sleepless nights dedicated to that one thing Mario Lanza said about him. <laughs> Let let's segue into the musical guest here and with. The new rebranding of SNL Funhouse. Uh, We decided to bring back a musical guest correspondent, at least the idea of it, a dedicated listener and SNL fan, Will from America, who some of you might know from the RHAP universe, the fantastic songs that he writes, uh, he is going to record his thoughts about the musical guests on SNL from that episode. Before we record this, I have his recording right now. I'll play it on the podcast for all of us and all of you to listen to, and then we can talk about it a bit afterwards and give our own thoughts on Migos's two songs that they performed this week. So, Will, take it away.
2: Hey guys, this is Will from America, your friendly New Neighborhood musical guest correspondent. I'm honored to be working with the esteemed Mike Bloom and Mario the Rock Lanza. Hopefully this position lasts longer than your typical summer camp stay at the White House, but at the very least today, I hope to bring more hip-hop knowledge and awareness to the table than Katy Perry did during her performance with Migos during last season. Last night, of course, we saw Migos perform two songs off of their new record, Culture 2. Migos have been edging towards the mainstream limelight since 2013 when their song Versace became a viral hit, and with a chorus that simply repeated the word Versace ad nauseum, it wasn't hard to understand why. Another hit soon followed called Hannah Montana, and I'll let you guess how the chorus to that one went. I I once viewed Migos as a walking meme... But it became very clear by 2017 that for better or for worse, they represented the current state of rap music. If a popular song wasn't featuring one of the members of Migos and Quavo was on literally everything, it was most likely an attempt to replicate their success. And this is seen no more clearly than in two-time SNL parody target Gucci Gang, which itself is somehow a less creative version of Versace. Migos has always been lauded for their simple yet catchy hooks, which makes their most recent performance on SNL all the more baffling. Straight up, it was garbage, and it seems the majority of the internet agrees. The first song, Stir Fry, was overly reliant on autotune, which never really works well in a live setting to begin with, and this was totally discordant with the ad-libs happening in the background. Stir Fry is actually one of my favorite songs by the group since, unlike most of their tunes, the beat doesn't just consist of one minor chord played under the same trap beat. You know, it actually has some energy, some motion going on, but it just didn't translate well to the Studio 8H stage whatsoever, largely due to the the microphone issues and sound mixing that seems to pervase every single performance we get in the past couple of seasons. Uh, their second song, Narcos, is a much worse song, but an equally weak live performance. Although the final verse from Takeoff reminded me why some people can still take them seriously. It had a great flow to it and well-written lyrics for the most part. But what are you going to do? Anyway, I'll talk to you guys next week when we see James Bay, who I predict will be an equally bad yet less funny performance. Back to you guys.
0: Okay. Thank you, Will from America, for that. Yeah, Will from America, not a... Huge fan of Migos' performance on SNL. It was actually pretty enlightening to sort of get that background as to, you know, where they came from and specifically their affinity for just taking a couple of words and repeating them in a hook over the chorus because, uh, yeah, I definitely got that sense from the two songs that we got to listen to on this episode.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a a good recap and significantly more insightful than my comments would have been, which would have been something like, wow, I learned there's a group called Migos tonight. Yeah, or look
0: at those Chinese lanterns.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, thank you. uh, I appreciate that we have someone like Will to pop in here because I'm sure there's no two people who have less knowledge about hip-hop than me and Mike Bloom.
0: Yeah, indeed. Well, let's move forward here to something we might be a little more accustomed to talk about. (laughs) Let's talk about Weekend Update here. Overall, Mario, between Jose and Che and the correspondents, we'll get more into them in detail, but uh, we've been, you know, talking up Weekend Update all season long. Was this a strong welcome back to Weekend Update for you?
1: I always look forward to Weekend Update. So pretty much any return to Weekend Update is a strong one for me. I'm especially a fan of Colin Jost. I just like the way his mind works when it comes to comedy writing. I don't think this was maybe their best recent Weekend Update. But again, I always I always look forward to seeing them and what they come up with. And again, there was some jokes I thought were pretty good. Some I didn't think were all that great. But in in, in the end, I always think this is one of the stronger segments of the show, just because I think they're two such strong joke writers
0: especially in an episode like this. Uh, and I do agree that it wasn't my favorite update, but I still think it was at least pretty good. You know, I thought that their takes on the whole gun control thing, with which obviously has been a big debate in the country and among other late shows the past few weeks. Uh, their takes were interesting between Colin sort of talking upon his own previous experiences about, like, I got taught by Catholic nuns, don't give Catholic nuns guns. And he <laughs> sort of parlays that into a very Josti-esque uh, priest sex joke. Uh, and then... Michael Che sort of goes in on the idea of hunting and how hunting's not a sport and then goes up on this. I didn't understand where we got to a point where he was talking about why everyone should just eat rice. That seemed a little random even for him. Uh, I will say that Che did seem like he was having a little, a little bit of like the Barkley-itis. I don't know if that rubbed off on him in the monologue. I thought he was he was stumbling a little bit during a Weekend Update. Maybe again it was shaking the rust off, but he might have had my favorite joke of the entire episode, which was, March is Women's History Month because March is the only month to tell you what to do uh it was one of those things where like it took me so long to realize what it was and the audience did too but once it actually like made sense it, i thought it was a fantastic joke
1: they call that a joke grenade just pull the pin and throw it wait for the audience to react
0: yeah i mean it was i i thought it was really well done in like a very complicated and clever joke. Though it also came right off of a uh, Joe's really fun joke as well about the weed receptacles and then it cutting to a picture of Woody Harrelson.
1: <laughs> my personal favorite joke in this one and I I have read a bunch of reviews of this episode and nobody mentioned this one was this this is my personal favorite one where what was it where they found a uh, a letter from Gandhi where he mentions Jesus Christ. Yeah. And the letter, letter literally reads Jesus Christ, I'm hungry. <laughs> 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 and that's a strong joke. I appreciate that one cuz I didn't know where he was going with that and Again, I had Shay had some good rants in here. But like you said, he especially his rant about hunting and the, the assault rifles, he kind of stumbled over it. And it kind of it kind of ruins the momentum of the rant when he has to start repeating himself or like starting and stopping and having to do it over again. So I do agree that could have been stronger. But, yeah, in the end, when you watch Colin Joes to Michael Shay, you know what you're going to expect. You got exactly what you are. You know, you're going to get from them in this one. So it was it was solid. But again, I love the Gandhi joke. I love that uh, pre sex joke and then the the march the joke grenade about women telling you to march was a good one too, especially just with them waiting for the audience to catch up to the joke,
0: yeah, and that's the thing as well like they've they've gotten very confident in who they are as anchors that like they've gotten pretty ballsy to. Wait for audiences to respond to rip each other for jokes, uh, you know they'll do things where they'll awkwardly like cut back to the other one in the middle of jokes. So I like the sort of the new direction that they're going with these guys. Let's talk about our correspondence here. We'll start off with the political side of things with Hope Hicks, who uh, was the recent White House communications director to leave the White House. Mario, I know that you're not a big politics guy and you're not a big Cecily guy either. so what did you think about this piece overall?
1: I mean, it's one of those things like I, I know what a Cecily piece is going to be. She does kind of a very similar voice in most of these sketches. And I know I know what the premise of the the, the character is going to be. So like it was it was OK for if you like political humor, I, I, I hesitate to say I didn't like this piece because I'm sure if you like political humor, if you like them taking digs at the White House this was probably right in your wheelhouse and you loved it. But yeah, for me, I'm like, Oh, here we go. Another Cecily character. Yeah. I'll fast forward through this one. And I, I I hate to say that, but that's kind of the reality of where we are at this point in my viewing of Cecily strong on SNL.
0: What I will say is, you know, I'm not uh, educated in the ways of hope Hicks that much. I think the sketch started hitting a good point. Once we got to the letter, Once we got into um, Vitamin C's graduation played in the background, because it seemed like that was the POV they were going for, is that she was treating it sort of like a summer camp or like a graduation where she was writing letters back to everyone, you know, hags, I'll miss you. Uh, But since it took us a little while to get there, I was a little confused as to where exactly we were going. That was by far the strongest point to me. I did also like her comparing her role to uh, the person who taught Coco the Gorilla sign language. And also her line about how she compared her relationship with Ivanka to having a sleepover and then waking up in the middle of the night to have your uh, friend's dad sort of creepily standing there in the doorway. So there were some fun moments in there. Uh, I I will say, uh, again, not knowing too, too much about Hope Picks, I don't know if it was an accurate impression, but for me, I, I was good with it once we actually got into the whole like, you know, middle school aspects of it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the worst Cecily character I've ever seen, but yeah, it's, it's, Again, I always feel guilty like you bring me on here and I have to talk about political humor that I don't care about. But yeah, it's, it was all right. I, there were some good lines in there.
0: All right. Well, let's go to someone who I'm pro- you're probably much more uh, <laughs> in your wheelhouse to discuss. Let's talk about Kyle Mooney as Kyle Mooney. Uh, talking, talking about the Oscars, but really talking about the fact that he was not invited to Colin's Oscars party. What did you think about this one?
1: Yeah, this was a weird one because I mean I'm a big Kyle Mooney fan, I'll flat out say that I Brigsby Bear was one of the best movies last year and I'm to be honest I'm kind of shocked he's still on SNL because that movie was so good and that's where he clearly his future is and stuff like that. But yeah, it's kind of a rare treat when you see Kyle even show up on SNL anymore. Like all of a sudden he just oh, I forget Kyle's in the cast. So this was a rare treat to kind of see him. I don't think this was necessarily his strongest bit, but the thing with Kyle was is that he He's not going for the same stuff that other correspondents do. Every piece he does is a little different. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, he's playing with your emotions, he's going for sad, or he's just, he wants you to cringe. Like, this this was almost a Bruce Channeling sketch. It was kind of weird, yeah. like, him playing himself, but he's kind of going into Bruce Channeling at times. And again, I always appreciate when Kyle's on the show, because he'll always do something a little different. I don't think this was the best one he's ever done. I was kind of disappointed in it by the end, but... Again, any rare treat you get to see Kyle before he leaves SNL, I think you should take it at this point because you're not going to see him that much longer.
0: I feel like Kyle Mooney is a, a comic who thrives in silence. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't want people to laugh or he wants people to sort of feel like, should I be laughing at this? I mean, I feel like that's the whole point of someone like Bruce Chanley who does this sort of anti-comedy thing. I thought it was interesting that he came out as himself. But like you mentioned, he does this sort of like big Mike thing that is almost a little Bruce Channing. Of course, it turns out that he's not really there to talk about the Oscars. So I guess it makes sense. I also wonder I'm probably putting way too much credit in SNL's uh you know in SNL's territory right now. I do wonder if this ties into the whole Kyle Mooney, Leslie Jones like canon going on and that like I thought for a second like oh Kyle uh, Colin didn't invite him to the Oscars party because he's still pining after Leslie. But they didn't really bring that up on the show. I guess it would be a little confusing but this went on a little long for me like I feel like we got the joke a few seconds in when we see the two of them whisper to each other about like don't tell him and then it ends in this really odd visual of him wearing the b-box shoes and it turns out that was the reason why he didn't get invited so it definitely was not the worst thing I've seen Kyle Mooney do but it was a little off for me and not in the off way that he's usually aiming for
1: yeah, and this is something I just want to explain to people from a like a comedy writing point of view. Kyle Mooney isn't a comedian in your traditional sense. He's much more like Andy Kaufman, and Kaufman's one of my idols. And the reason be is that he's not necessarily going for the joke. What Kyle wants to do is he wants to manipulate your emotions, and it's a very it's a fine line with him on a show like SNL to start with because this isn't really. His milieu, this really isn't what he should be doing. He does a totally different type of act and a whole, totally different type of, and I'm not even going to say comedy, it's like character pieces. He does character yeah. pieces, and his whole uh, his whole uh, shtick is that he wants to control the audience's emotions. He's going to make you love him, or hate him, or be sad, or just cringe, or be awkward. And that's the thing with Kyle. So the fact that you're not getting a laugh from Kyle is not that unusual. He's going for the, uh, the uh, emotional manipulation. He just wants to control the audience in the palm of his hands. I don't think it was necessarily successful here, but uh, yeah, like Mike, Mike said, it, it went on a little long. It was kind of odd, but I do think people should appreciate seeing Kyle while they still have him. Cause again, he, he, he is a unique voice on the show that we haven't seen very much of in recent seasons. So I, 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 I'm glad they used him, even though I don't think it was all that successful here.
0: Well, let's move on to our third correspondent, someone who I think the audience ate up much more. Of course, the return of Leslie Jones, who was a sideline correspondent at the Winter Olympics in South Korea over the course of this month. Uh, She starts by talking about her experience to Colin, specifically her newfound love for not only hockey, but the women's hockey team. And we get a drop in appearance from gold medalist Hillary Knight to essentially talk some shit about Colin uh, trying to teach Leslie some hockey stuff. What did you think about this?
1: I would probably say the same thing you and Rich would have said even before I joined the show. Wow, it's a West... uh, If you you know what you're going to get from a Leslie Jones commentary. Like, she is the opposite of Kyle. It's very predictable. I know exactly where this is going. I like her energy. I've always loved Leslie. I think she's fun. She comes out there. She does her shtick. She gets the audience involved. The audience always pops really hard for her. So, I mean, it's clear why they use her. I have no complaints for her her on the show. I like when she does commentaries. I like when Pete does commentaries. But yeah, this was a... Leslie Jones commentary I don't know what more to say about it than that you know what you're gonna get
0: did was it improved or uh, de-escalated from the Hillary Knight cameo in your opinion
1: well anytime they bring out these non again it's the Charles Barkley argument all over again anytime you bring out a non-comedic performer and throw them onto live comedy show it's going to be kind of cringy and awkward because you have to hold your breath how's this gonna go I mean she did fine I don't know if it really made the sketch better or not but having her uh What was the put down of Joost at the end, calling you the bitch?
0: Bitch, yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean that was good. That was, that's the the type of uh, viral moment that SNL goes for when they bring these big famous celebrity athletes on the show for commentary. So they got that out of her. I don't know what more you could have got out of her. It could have gone. It could have gone worse. That's what I'll say.
0: Yeah, yeah. They could have gone on for much longer. They could have done. You know what they did last season where they had the Chicago Cubs come out and strip for a dead grandmother. So I'm happy we didn't go in that territory. They have slightly more respect for those Olympic athletes. But I also did like that moment. It was very muggy, but I like that moment when Hillary comes on and is like, oh, Colin, I heard you can teach us some stuff about hockey. And Leslie just cartoonishly like leans over to Colin <laughs> with her hand around her ear to be like, yeah, you got something to say now. So I thought it added a nice pop because I do agree uh, otherwise, it was a typical Leslie Jones appearance, which is, you know, not deriding it whatsoever. I think she brings a fantastic energy and she had some fun moments in here, like talking about how uh, some Koreans thought she was a transformer because <laughs> she was so tall and she stuck out and how much she loves the penalty box, penalty box Jones. But overall, I think it was, it was a solid way to bring her back. And of course, you know, this was a way to honor the Olympics, considering that, uh, you know, this is her. They couldn't not mention this. This was the show's literal tie to the Olympics. They were remiss yeah. to not mention it.
1: Yeah, and let's – I always try to bring this back to get people – you hear a lot of cynical comments. <clears throat> you hear a lot of cynical comments on SNL and message boards and reviews and stuff. Oh, this sucked. Oh, they brought out this nobody to be on the, the SNL. They brought out this a woman's Olympian. Who cares? Like this was clearly a big moment for Hillary Knight. Like she yeah. has played hockey her whole life, and she now is randy, randomly ends up on SNL making a cameo. Like you can see that smile on her face, what a big deal this was for her. So I would advise people to uh, – Think of that a little before you start trashing uh, her and stuff like in SNL recaps. Not that we're doing that, but I, I just know the internet, how it works. Like, who is this? Who's this moron? Why is she on there? Like, this was a big deal for someone who has no interest in being on a comedy show probably to start with. So I just appreciated that she got her big moment. She's out there smiling. She got to do her uh, line to Colin, and that was it. And it was it's going to be a big moment in her life.
0: Here's some fan fiction I want to throw out here. If Charles Barkley was a stronger sketch comedy performer... Could they could or would they have done something with him and Shaq or him and Keenan as Charles Barkley at some point during Weekend Update?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things. If a frog had wings, he wouldn't bump his ass when he hopped. But yeah, (laughs) if Charles Barkley could fly, I would love to see him go to the sun. That would be cool. No, I don't. Yeah, if he was a better sketch performer, they would have done all sorts of things with him, I'm sure.
0: Well, Charles Barkley plays a really interesting role in this next sketch here as we move post-update. Very rare post-update game show sketch, though, of course, it makes sense once we figure out what the main crux of it is. (laughs) It's Hump or Dump, where Barkley and Alex Moffat and Chris Redd are three bachelors vying for a bachelorette. But Barkley has an unconventional way to try to win the game show. What did you think about this one?
1: I loved the, again, it's very similar to earlier in the show. I love the idea of the sketch. Like, this is something that I am jealous I would have, I, I didn't come up with, like, as a comedy sketch, like one of the contestants, Strong Arms, the, the dating game that if you don't pick me, I'm going to kill myself, which is a very dark concept for a sketch, but it's a very obvious one. I'm surprised I've never seen in a game show before. And I just love the idea of the sketch. And I thought Barkley was actually really good in it. And I'm surprised yeah. I'm saying that, but then it has no ending. This sketch completely—they throw it apart at the end. I'm like, why didn't you save this for when it was fully fleshed out and you could have made a full sketch of it? This one, this one kind of breaks my heart from a comedy writing perspective because I think this one had real potential.
0: See this sketch, dumped to you then?
1: It dumped me, yes. And I'm—I'm I'm gonna go kill myself. I hate to no, say that. no,
0: no, <laughs> no, no. You have to do it. You're so competitive, Mario, on this podcast. I—I—I <laughs> I, I would agree. I thought this was a really fun idea, and actually, Barclays. Stilted tone really played well with the way he was saying these things. Like he was very plainly saying, "Let me put this plainly, Amanda. If you don't pick me, I'm gonna kill myself." Like I think the way it came out so matter of fact worked geniusly. And even in before that, when he says, "I'm Doug," and it's in everyone's best interest to pick me, <laughs> like it raised some some question marks there. And I love the fact that Keenan had great reaction to cut back to Keenan every time. But I feel like after we hit that really great line. I agree. We didn't go anywhere from there. We had him come back with the hose, but like, I, I you know, we. I feel like you should escalate from there somehow, and it, did, it didn't really feel like uh, we did. And yeah, the, the idea of dumping trash on them, like, if the idea of the sketch was to make them feel the worst that they possibly can, I, I wanted more to do with that. Whereas instead, they should have gone. I don't know. I, I don't know how extreme you can get with that type of stuff, especially on live TV. But this was a really sort of. Fun nugget contained on an outer layer of kind of nothing in terms of a sketch.
1: Yeah, and this is one of those I've, I've mentioned before. I had this thing called the Saturday Night Live Funny 115, my favorite sketches of like a 2000 to 2015 and a lot of them are dark concepts like this game shows that go horribly awry just absolute ballsy sketches that you i can't believe made it to the air and this is one that could have been on there and that's the thing that's why this one just really breaks my heart and again like you said barkley his delivery worked really well for this character and there's one line in there that I just laughed at. I am just I circled here where he's going to go into eternal sleep just like my daddy and my daddy's daddy before me. <laughs> like, who wrote that line? That's the weirdest line. Yeah, and it's it, – this. I have to think, again, just the logistics of putting together a show like SNL. They cut this Star Wars sketch, and I'm just telling people, again, Google this Star Wars sketch. It's really funny, and it's big and long and expensive. It looks like they spent millions of dollars on it, and they must have cut that at the last minute and thrown this one on there which is clearly not finished. This is not a finished sketch. And mm-hmm. I just feel bad for whoever wrote it, for the actors. Like, they probably knew it had no ending. And, again, it just – the logistics of SNL just sucks sometimes. I, I almost wish it wasn't live. Like, I wish it was taped, like, in Living Color sometimes, where mm-hmm. you could fit in that Star Wars sketch. You could rework this sketch. You wouldn't have to throw it on the air just because it's – just because you need something. Because this really could have been a really – a not famous, but an infamous SNL sketch that would people would have been talking about the next day. As it is, it's like 80% of a sketch, which again, just doesn't get the job done.
0: Well, we've seen earlier on in this season that they repurposed sketches that they've used in other host instances. Maybe next week we could see Sterling K. Brown uh, get sort of like CGI'd into that Star Wars sketch.
1: <laughs> again, yeah, I cannot reiterate how enough. People should Google that sketch. It's really funny. And again, they did that last week on Natalie Portman. Did you see the, the uh, deleted sketches from that episode? Yeah,
0: I remember watching it after the episode. Yeah, those, the, Yeah, there were some really good ones in there.
1: The My Little Stepchildren or whatever. Yeah, That's one so of the funniest like, things I've seen on SNL in like the last year.
0: Yeah, it was like a, in, totally in like the the Wells for Boys area of like really dark toy commercials.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. What are they cutting this stuff on SNL for? And I get that Lauren has the, uh, the ability now they can put it online afterwards. Well, this was a cut sketch and it's as if they get a bonus sketch, but it's kind of cheating. Like put it on the show where it's going to be in repeats. That's what I don't get about the thought process on some of these episodes. And it really bothers me, to be honest.
0: Well, let's move on to the back to the show proper. Let's get to this construction site where a bunch of uh, a bunch of con ed workers talk about how if they were women, this is how they would dress. This really reminded me of uh, a standout sketch from the Chris Pine episode from last season where there were a bunch of mechanics talking about RuPaul's Drag Race. I felt like it kind of worked better there if we're comparing the two just because Uh, I mean, I'm a Drag Race fan, so I understood the references, and I feel like they went to a further level than they did here. But all that being said, I still think there was some really fun writing here, and I do like the sort of group mentality of everyone just sort of feeding off each other's energy.
1: Yeah, and this, you could make the argument, this wasn't my personal favorite sketch of the episode, but you could make the argument this was probably the best sketch of the episode. It was pretty well done, and I thought Barkley actually was pretty good in it, which is kind of surprising again. Yeah, there was some neat stuff. It did, the sketch didn't go where you thought it was going to go. Some of the lines were incredibly verbose, and they weren't just going for the obvious joke. They were really kind of going, "Well, that's more of a VMA award." Oh, girl, you did not yeah. say that. Like it was, I really appreciated the sketch. And again, I, I probably like the uh, the Roach one more, but but this I thought it was very well done. I thought they got a good performance out of everyone. I thought. I wouldn't have written it the same way they did. I didn't like the way Beck's character delivered his lines, or the it was kind of blunt for me. I would have been a little more uh, nuanced with him. But all in all, I thought this was a very successful sketch, and it's not one you'd expect this late in the show from this type of a host.
0: Yeah, I will say I probably liked Beck's uh, epiphany more than you, specifically the line, toxic masculinity is a pair of velvet handcuffs, and gender normativity <laughs> is the key. Like, I do like that this, like, rough-and-tumble, uh, you know, he was supposed to be, like, the straight man of the sketch, being like, come on, guys, we gotta sit and eat our roast beef sandwiches and ogle the women. He sort of comes to his own realization, but there really isn't a lot of follow-through from that. I do agree where, like, he talks about how he wants something, he gets admonished for his fashion choices, and then he sort of walks off-screen. I mean, I think it's a tough idea of a sketch to end, but there was a lot of fun going on, I feel like you could tell that these guys just had a lot of fun. Barkley, in particular, be- you, you can It can be tough sometimes when there's a lot of people in a sketch that just the back and forth with the lines, there's a certain amount of energy to them and a pacing. And I feel like Barkley was actually keeping up with the pace of these other guys that it didn't feel like you sometimes do with these hosts where there are like awkward pauses where they don't realize they're supposed to be saying something.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's it's one of those things where, where I'm always of the opinion that there's always nuggets of gold in every SNL episode. And like I hear some people say, well, that episode sucked. There was nothing going on. It was terrible. Well, even if an episode is not your favorite, there's always going to be some little nugget, something that was interesting that was going on. This is the sketch I would probably pick to even people who didn't like this episode and didn't want Charles Barkley as host and didn't had no interest in him. This is the sketch I think you could point out. Well, there was some really clever stuff going on in it, and it might not be for everyone, but it was something different. And again, it's not the type of sketch you would normally see from Charles Barkley. So more power to him for doing it and for him for selling it. He really put his all into it. That You could tell, like you said, he was having fun. So this is the type of sketch I think that non-Charles Barkley fans would appreciate.
0: Yes, it's, it's, the rest of the stuff might not be for everyone, just like a high-waisted harem skirt, but this is an outfit that really is one-size-fits-all, appeals to everybody. Uh, let's get to our final sketch of the night here, our recurring sketch, our last call sketch. Uh, last time we saw it was with Dave Chappelle. Were you surprised to see Charles Barkley appear in this sketch?
1: Um, Not really surprised, if only because it was funny because I was watching this episode with my wife, and we're to the like the last episode, the last sketch of the night. And I'm like, you know, Kate has not been in this episode. And it's kind of mm-hmm. shocking because you never see an episode without Kate. I think she was in the, the grabbies. She was a she was one of the she was reporters. Like a,
0: yeah, like a silent. And then she was Jeff Sessions in the cold open. But that was pretty much it.
1: That was it. So I was that's why I, I'm not really shocked. They brought this out because you need a Kate showcase in every episode just because she's your big star. So was I surprised that it came back? right after the Dave Chappelle one, or so long after the Dave Chappelle one? Not really, because they needed Kate, and this is obviously one of Kate's standout characters.
0: That being said, I will say that, you know, looking at the previous people who played with her here, you have Louis C.K., Vince Vaughn, John Goodman, Woody Harrelson, Larry David, and the aforementioned Dave Chappelle, they I feel like they were all so much more game than Barkley was. This was one of those things where, you know, Barkley's delivery worked well in the Humper Dump sketch or the the construction site sketch didn't necessarily work well here. I feel like what really Like, the smarminess is supposed to come across in all those other performances. And it didn't really come across here. Now, you do get, of course, the absurd visuals that always come with this sketch that make it so much fun. Particularly, I think that the putting on the mouth guards and twirling each other's tongues might be the most visually ridiculous thing that they've ever (laughs) done with this sketch. Uh, But I will say, I don't know if he was as great of a partner for her as some of the previous instances.
1: No, and I agree with that. And again, he's just not a strong performer. Although, in his defense, I should say it's hard to deliver a good dramatic performance when you're laughing the entire sketch.
0: Yes, <laughs> like, when, you're, just, when you're, and when your face is covered in lady's speed stick.
1: Yeah, so. I don't know. I'm sure he was having a good time. I don't know if it really came across as the best sketch ever. But again, anytime you get to see Kate do her standout characters and Barkley was obviously having a ball again, he was just cracking up and she was cracking up too during the mouth guard part. You could tell she was absolutely losing it. And you don't see that much very often from Kate. But I think the, uh, the takeaway from this sketch is the, the Keenan reactions again, which is another thing. Just let's just cut to Keenan for a punchline.
0: And he broke, too, which is even rarer than cape breaking, uh, where, like, he, specifically with the mouth guard stuff, like, you could see him chuckle a little bit. And, yeah, I love how ridiculous these get. I remember when they started out, it was him, like, pouring gasoline on the bar to burn it down, and now we've gotten to the point where he turns to stone for looking (laughs) at them. I'm glad that they went in that direction, that we're getting more and more absurd with these types of things, because, yeah, he's definitely, like... Him and Kate are, I'm glad that they're two sort of constants in this equation and we keep sort of switching out the rest of the variables because he's as key to this sketch as she is, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, and I, I should point out, when Keenan turns to stone, his head looked like the exact same mold they used of his head in the uh, Maryville Brothers sketch where you had the dead <laughs> Keenan at the end. There you go, yes. there's your obscure trivia of the day that I recognized the prop they just painted it gray.
0: Oh my god, wow, that's like... That's oh my, that's like seven years old at this point. That's hey, crazy. That,
1: yeah, that that was halfway through Keenan's run on SNL. By the way, seven years. <laughs> but that is that is the obscu- that is the obscure trivia that you bring me on the show for. That I will remember your props.
0: I can't wait until 2025 when we're talking about like wow when Keenan turned into a robot. They used the same head that they used during the last call sketch. When because uh, you know Keenan will still be on the show then. But yeah, I think Kate always brings it here, and just the absurdity of it made it for at least a very energetic way to end the show so yeah. any other opinions about the charles barkley episode before we move onward
1: i was just gonna say there was a uh there was one line here in this sketch that i appreciate again i always do the comedy writing perspective there's always lines that kind of jump out to me like poetry like i appreciate that line the way it's written where uh what is it where kate says why don't we go back to my house and do missionary where you teach me English and then you get frustrated and leave the country? Yes. <laughs> that is such a great line. And again, it's it's buried in Kate doing stick here. And you don't you're not going to remember that line. But I always I always have a place in my heart for the comedy writers of the world. Whoever came up with that line, that is a great line.
0: Yeah, she has so many good lines here between uh, play your cards right and you can walk my red carpet, which is just (laughs) disgusting. And of all the men in here, you're the only one in here. was like it's 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 it's, it's, it's like really understated lines that are below this very mellow delivery. Uh, Let's look ahead to next week, Mario. We have Sterling K. Brown hosting with musical guest James Bay. Are you familiar with the work of Sterling K. Brown?
1: I actually was not until recently. I had to Google him. Again, I've never seen This Is Us. I, I, know, I know I see a lot of people talking about it online. It's apparently this big deal. Maybe someday I'll check it out. I'm just horrible with current TV shows. I'm so big on, on stuff in the past that I'm always doing podcasts and stuff. So I'm horrible at keeping up with shows. So I've never seen This Is Us. I just tend not to watch superhero movies, so I haven't seen Black Panther. But I know he's a big deal in a bunch of really big things out there, and I— I have heard from my other SNL friends that he has been so excited on social media that he's hosting SNL, so he's really looking forward to it. So if he's excited, I'm excited. I don't know anything about him, but I didn't know anything about some other hosts when they showed up, and they were great too, like Bruno Mars I thought was fantastic. I didn't know anything about him before he hosted. So anybody who's excited to be on SNL, I'm excited to see, so I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, Sterling K. Brown is another one of these first-time hosts that we have this season who just is so genuinely excited to come onto SNL, which is going to make for at least a very energetic performance. I mean, he has sort of become an it guy in Hollywood. He's has won two Emmys in the past two years. He also played uh, Chris Darden in the People vs. O.J. Simpson American Crime Story from a couple of years ago. So he has really broken out. As you said, he's probably promoting Black Panther, but... I'm really excited to see him on here. You know, he always seemed like a really funny guy outside of the shows that he does and the work that he does, which is, of course, very dramatic. So I'm hopeful he can bring some comedy chops to it. And uh, I know nothing about James Bay, but hopefully Will will fill in the blanks next week as we talk about the 15th episode of SNL season 43. Uh, For now, Mario, thank you so much for coming on and offering your opinions as per usual. How can people follow you on social media and what are you working on in the podcast atmosphere?
1: All right. I got some big stuff out there. My big thing lately is I'm trying to put together a new movie podcast. And this is something I just started recently. It's called Staff Picks, where I uh, kind of bring to the forefront some movies that have been forgotten or underloved or uh, underrated over the years. And I really try to give them some love and get them some attention. So if you want to hear what I think is an especially good podcast, and I don't necessarily say that about stuff that I do, but it's called Staff Picks. You can find it at staffpicks.po, uh, Wait, staffpicks.podbean.com, and it's my new podcast. We only have eight episodes. I'm very excited about it. I'm very proud of it, and I'm hoping it finds a big audience because I'm really passionate about certain movies over the years that need more love. So this is the big thing right now. Just look for my podcast, Staff Picks other than my uh, podcast I do with Mike called Survivor Historians. And you can just reach me on Twitter, at Mario J. Lanza.
0: You can always reach me on Twitter, at a Mike Bloom type. I'm doing a bunch of different podcasts and exit interviews for reality television, probably getting some scripted stuff, as well as the months may pass. Uh, but if you're not subscribed to SNL Funhouse, again, it's a completely rebranded podcast. We've taken over the former SNL Post Show Recast feed, so if you're already subscribed to that feed... No worries, we just got a little bit of a makeover so you can keep subscribed, but if you haven't, make sure you search the iTunes store for us and leave us a rating and review if you'd like to. We always appreciate that, especially as a quote-unquote new podcast that'll always help us rise the ranks of iTunes and let us become a little more prevalent in uh, new listeners' eyes. And let us know your thoughts. Reach out to us on social media. What were your thoughts about this episode? What are you expecting from Sterling Kane Brown? Do you have any uh, hot takes on Migos? We'd love to hear from you guys. Let's keep the conversation going uh, into the Sterling K. Brown episode next week, but we'll be back to break it all down. Special thanks to Will from America for giving his opinions on the musical guest. Can't wait to hear from him for the rest of the season. Special thanks to Scott St. Pierre and Rob Cesarino for really helping us cart this over from post-show recaps into our own little thing. Thank you, Mario, for continuing on with this. I'm super excited to see where this takes us, but that's going to do it for this week of SNL Funhouse. We will see you next time. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.